cooperation a lot of times. A little bit more uh, two sides. And then, of course, you guys are probably familiar with congregational churches. And congregational churches can be a good thing when they're elder-led. But of course, uh, sometimes, what it, more times than what I've seen anyways, congregational led can wind up being, uh, well, we had some ideas, uh, the leaders come forward, we had some ideas, but what do you guys think? And ultimately, there's not a whole lot of leadership there. So, what should it look like? Well, the Bible has told us that elders are to be over the church. Now, I would encourage you, if you got a app you can write some stuff down you got a pen and paper write some stuff down I'm just going to give you a quick list to kind of uh, hopefully to show you this isn't a, a GCC thing this is a Bible thing that's what we're about we don't care uh, about what man thinks we care what God thinks and so where is there evidence for eldership being over the local church in the New Testament let me just give you some references Acts chapter 11 verse 30 we see a letter being sent to the elders in Judea. Okay, so already by Acts 11.30, there are elders in place. Acts 14.23, we see Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in the local churches that had been established. That's Acts 14.23. In Acts 15, we see the elders in leadership at the church in Jerusalem. And in Acts 20, we see that there are elders over the church in Ephesus. Right? So throughout the book of Acts, which is really the, the beginnings of the early church, we see elders being mentioned over and over again. As you go through the different letters in the New Testament, we see in James 5.16 that if anyone is sick, they should call for the elders of the church. There's an expectation there that there are elders ruling over the church. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, give us the qualifications of elders. Uh, in First, uh, First Timothy, they use the term overseer. Overseer and uh, presbyter or, or, el or uh, uh, elder are all interchangeable in their meaning, uh, but same office. I'm just talking about different aspects of the same office. When Paul sends his letter to the church at Philippi, he addresses it to the saints and the elders and deacons. Again, uh, there's uh, in t uh, Titus 1 5, we see uh, Paul telling Titus to appoint elders in every town. That's a quick overview. The elders, I mean, we could have like a three or four point series, but we're just going to be here for three or four hours instead. Okay, I'm trying. I'll, I'll try to be quicker than that. Okay, but, but I want you to see that eldership is God's plan. So, what are the elders to do? How are they to function in the local, local church? What does God expect of these leaders? And then what does God expect from the rest of the church in their interaction with the elders? And that's what we want to look at for the rest of our time here this morning. As we're going to look at 1 Peter 5, uh, 1 through 5. Before we uh, get into it this morning, though, let me pray for us one more time. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful uh, for the fact that, God, you uh, have left us instructions, Lord, into how uh, the church should operate. Lord, you have, you have a good plan. It's a great plan, and it is a plan that can only be fulfilled as we lean upon your Holy Spirit. Lord, left to ourselves, we'll grumble, we'll complain, we'll, 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 we'll fight with one another, and, and it won't go well. But, Lord, as we look to you, the great shepherd, Lord, we know that, that Lord, great things can happen. People can be cared for. Your people can be uh, brought up in the ways of you. Your people can be equipped for the work of the ministry. Lord, as we as we follow your plan for the church. And God, we, we think about that this morning. It's not our church. It's Christ's church. It's that for which he has bled and died for. It is that for which he cares for. And uh, will one day uh, the church will be part of that great supper of the Lamb. Lord, we cannot wait for that day. But if between now and then, Lord, would you find us faithful? So thankful for this church here in Red Deer. God, would you, as they enter this phase of, of having their own local elders here, God, would you just bless them and encourage them? Lord, we're so thankful for Chris and Dave and Roger. Uh, God, we thank you for the, the giftings that, Lord, you've given them, for the men that you've made them to be. And Lord, I thank you even for just the last couple of days and, and seeing their humility, Lord, and, and understanding the gravity of the task. 
God, would you continue to bless them and encourage them in that regard. Help them to continue to cling to you as they shepherd these great people, Lord, that you brought to them. God, we're so thankful, again, that, Lord, you are the head of your church. And now, as we look at your word together this morning, we pray that you would lead us and guide us. Teach us, Lord, uh, your ways, Lord, that we might bring honor and glory to you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, you want to flip there? Um, everyone's got a Bible, a Bible app. Okay, let's look down together at it. We, we want to make sure that um, I'm not making stuff up. All right, and let's see what the word has to say. We read in verse 1 of chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, gain but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you look at this, these five verses, you would be quick to recognize that this is not natural man. Uh, this is a, the, the, the people involved in, as the, we see words like uh, 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 exercising oversight and, 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 and uh, not domineering and, 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 and being subject. All these things, these are things that can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're left to our natural selves, we want what we want and that's where the problems come in the church. And so I want to encourage you as a church this morning, as you look to Christ, as you look to, to His instruction, there are, are uh, some things that we can learn. A church that focuses on Christ, first we see, one, that godly leaders follow the pathway of Christ. If you want uh, leaders who, whom God will be, uh, say, well done, good and faithful servant one day, then they need to follow the pathway of Christ context here, Peter has just finished encouraging the whole church to entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good even as they might suffer if it be for God's will. Godly leaders need to lead the way when it comes to these things. If the leadership of a church shrinks back in the midst of sufferings, then so what? So will its people. If the leader stands forward and they stand strong, then the people will follow their, their example. So Paul says, or sorry, Peter says in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And Peter is appealing to the elders of the church that he's writing to. He's not commanding them. He is coming alongside them. And he's spurring them on to do that which is right. We saw in the intro a quick glance of the scriptures that once a church was established, there will be local elders placed in leadership over the people of that particular congregation. And so he's, he's writing... As he writes this letter, he, he, he anticipates there's elders that are going to be in, there in, in uh, the presence of those receiving the letter. And he says to them, as a fellow elder, Peter understands all that elders are responsible for because he also bears the responsibility of being an elder. So he has some things to tell them what they must know. He's equipping these elders to lead faithfully the people that God has placed in their care. And so he instructs the elders, and as he does, he says he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. When you think about the, 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 the place that Peter had, he was front row and center in the life of Christ uh, during his ministry years. He seen the, 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 the conflict that Jesus had with the Pharisees when the Pharisees would come against Christ. He, he saw that they, he saw when, when Jesus' family didn't even not believe who Jesus was. He heard Jesus himself predict all the pain and suffering he was going to have. Of course, Peter tried to counsel him that that wasn't God's plan for his life, and he said, get behind me, Satan. He, he's seen the plots against Jesus. He, he's seen Jesus in the garden praying, sweating blood. He saw Judas betray Jesus with a kiss as he handed Jesus over to the authorities. He himself denied Christ. 
He'd seen the beating, the whipping, the mocking. Peter had witnessed all that Jesus had suffered while he was on this earth. And yet Jesus suffered, and yet whether Jesus suffered from the persecution or whether he experienced pain from lack of food or shelter, whatever the case was, Jesus was always faithful. This is what Peter is pointing to, the faithfulness of Christ. Even going to the point of dying upon a cross for my sin, for your sin, experiencing the wrath of God that was due for you and I because of our sin upon himself, experiencing separation from God as he hung there on the cross, as he took our sins and paid the price. Jesus suffered on our behalf, and Peter had been a witness to this. Peter himself also suffered as an apostle and as an elder following the footsteps of Jesus. All believers are called to suffer for the sake of Christ. That's encouraging, huh? I mean, how many times do we just, we don't want to believe that? We just think that somehow what I'm experiencing right now can't be God's will. If I'm suffering, it can't be God's will. And yet, over and over and over again in the scripture it says, expect suffering. Christ suffered. The disciples suffered. And Jesus warned us that we would all suffer for his sake. John 15, 18 to 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before I hated it, it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So we should expect suffering. And as Peter addresses the elders, he said, guys, it's going to start with you. I mean, Satan's plan, if he can tear down the leadership, that's, his, that's always his strategy. Um, he thinks he can destroy the church through that. But we've seen again and again over the last 2,000 years, you go after godly leaders, and even if they are killed for the faith, what does it do? It, it spurs the church on. It encourages the church on. And so it says, be willing to suffer for Christ's sake. And I don't know what our future is here in Canada. Some days it looks a little bleak, doesn't it? A little discouraging. I I, I, uh, I read a book called Strange New World, kind of just thinking about how did we get to this place where some of the things that, you know, uh, I'm 50 now, you know, it, it, the world's changed since I was young, right? There, there's some things that people say are right now that they were saying wrong like 10 years ago. How did we get to this place? And, and, and as we see what's happening, we're starting to see more and more antagonism against the church. And, and it's it's no longer, while well, you believe what you believe, we're going to believe what we believe. It's like, you better get on board with what we believe, or we're going to come against you. And if that's the case, what we need more than ever are godly leaders who will lead God's people and care for them, even when they suffer for his sake. But Peter says, look, it's not just all suffering. He says, as he continues on in the verse, that following the pathway of Christ will begin with suffering, but will not end there. He says, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Of course, Peter had witnessed the glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, but what he's pointing to here is what we can all look forward to who are in Christ here this morning, the glory that is to come. You know, he's going to point this out again in verse 4 in just a moment. But it Paul put it like this in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It says, yes, expect suffering. You will suffer for the sake of Christ, but it's not forever. It's temporary. And one day soon, it's going to be glory. Life is hard. You will suffer in this life, but glory is coming. You see how that would be such an encouragement to these elders. Maybe they were already going, undergoing suffering and wondering, like, what, what's going on? Like, like, I thought, you know, being a leader in the church would maybe be a good thing, but this isn't turning out so well for us. And he said, listen, you will suffer, but glory is coming. It's a great word for all of us today, isn't it? 
I don't know uh, what's going on in your life. That's one of the things that coming in as a guest preacher is a little bit difficult. You're like, I, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know your your day to day. I don't know who just lost a job or or, or someone who's been suffering illness. I don't, but I know that we're not in heaven yet, and that we're all wrestling with sin in our lives still, and that we're still under the curse on this earth, and so. And one way or the other, you guys are suffering. And I want to just encourage you to keep your eyes on Christ. And I'm praying as, you're, as you install new elders that they will help continually point you guys to the Lord. To, to understand that in this life we may suffer, but glory is coming. God expects his elders to follow the pathway of Christ. Secondly, we see that a church that focuses on Christ sees godly leaders mimic the person of Christ. They, they, they mimic, they impersonate the person of Christ. They, they try to become more and more like them. And the first thing that we see is that they're personal. Personal. Uh, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. First key thing we need to notice there, whose flock is it? It's God's flock, Right? It is always God's people. He is the one who has purchased them with his blood. And he entrusts those people to under shepherds, uh, to elders. And so it's God's flock. And so uh, that's a, it's a weighty thing caring for God's people. And I, I love just seeing the humility in, in, in Roger and Chris and, and Dave. Yesterday was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that we're equipped for this. Amen. None of us are. Right? None of us are, but as we submit to the Lord's leading and His Holy Spirit, then we are able. But, but it's a weighty, weighty task that God gives His people. Note as well, it says, the, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Um, these guys are not responsible to shepherd the flock in Edmonton, in Calgary. Right? It's the people that are here. It is the people... Yeah, they, and I kind of just encourage you, it's the people who are saying, here I am, I'm all in. I'm all in in this church. I, I want you to care for me. I want you to instruct me. I want you to challenge me. That, that's, that's, that's what we see here, that shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I've, I've had the, 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 the situation where, you know, I'm at cross under meals or something, and, you know, somebody like, hey, and I'm like, hey, you know, like, I don't Kind of, you know, I'm getting older. I forget a lot, <laughs> but I, but I'm like, I, I, they look kind of familiar. I don't, and and they're like, and, and uh, they start talking to me like, hi, Pastor Trevor. I'm like, okay, they know my pastor, and and and, and then the, and somebody come on, hey, hey, this is my pastor, and I'm like, I am. I didn't know, you know, and this is back in the days where there was like 100 people. Like, I, I would have noticed you, you know, and, and they've been to the church like two two times a year kind of people. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's hard to shepherd those kind of folks because you don't even know they're a part of your church. And, and so can I just encourage you, as you, if this is your church family, that you you let the leadership know we're all in by, by becoming members here. That, that's really what we're saying when we, when we talk about membership. We're all in. And, uh, and so then... In Hebrews 13, 17, when they're going to give an account to the Lord for shepherding you, they'll know who they're shepherding. Does that make sense? Okay, so shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What does it mean to shepherd? Any shepherds here? Huh, no shepherds. Right? Not a real common thing in Canada, right? I was over in Romania this year, and, and uh, there was actually a lot of, a lot of shepherds. And uh, it was kind of a weird thing to see. Like, yeah, people still do this, I guess. It's still important. I guess the sheep still need shepherds. And, and um, so what does that mean to shepherd sheep? John Stone here is helpful. The work of the shepherd includes guiding and guarding, feeding and folding. Now the heiress tense here conveys a sense of urgency. It calls upon the elders to be devoted to the task, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. When we think about uh, the feeding and folding, that, that comes under the doctrine and care. A doctrine that what does God's word say? They are responsible to feed you from the word of God. What you don't need is some guy to stand up here and give you some kind of like cutesy, here's 10 tips to live a good life, right? What God's people need is this is what God's word says. And it may not be popular. 
It may be directly against our culture, which by the way, it normally is, right? It's God's word versus the world's ways. That's how it works. But, but what you need shepherds to do, what you need your elders to do to get up and say, thus saith the Lord and feed you from the word of God to spur you on to personally be reading the word of God for yourself. And to, to understand that when I have a problem in my life, the word of God is sufficient. I don't need to turn to worldly wisdom to know what I ought to do. I can find it here in God's word. Now, of course, you know one of our distinctives here at, at um, Redemption is, is to, to preach the word unapologetically. And, and the reason we believe that is because of what it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so the elders need to continually be carrying the sword with them wherever they go, because this is what you need more than anything from them, right? And so uh, that's what they're responsible to do. And can I just encourage you that as they spur you on, that you take heed to what they say. They say, look, look, I get it. You're really, really busy, but you gotta start taking time to be in the Word each day. Because if we don't, we, we go astray, we, we, we turn to other things, and, and so can I just encourage you to be in the Word? And you're like, man, I just, I just don't have time. I just don't have time. I mean, I, I did, you know, get through 16 series of Netflix this summer, but I don't have time. And, well, we all have time, right, if we make it a priority. So can I just encourage you to be people of the Word? And, and again, uh, as, the, I, as I already know, these guys, you're going to be over, they're going to continue to encourage you to be in the Word as they shepherd the flock of God among them. A second thing that we see as they try to mimic the person of Christ is that they need to be protective. Protective. It says that they are to exercise oversight. To exercise oversight. We've looked at the feeding and the folding aspect of shepherding. This is the guiding and the guarding. The guiding and the guarding. The, the direction and the discipline. They're to re responsible to, to lead the flock of God. We think about, again, sheep. It, it is a constant duty of, uh, of shepherds to care for the sheep. It's a 24-7 job. And the need for protection and for guidance is continually there. We all need it continually. Paul warned of the dangers coming to Ephesus in, in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 30. Acts 20, 29 to 30, he said this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish every one of you with tears. We think about the word overseer. It's the idea of, you know, like the guy in the tower and looking out uh, to, to see if there's any danger coming. That's what it is to be an overseer. It's to, to protect the flock of God. Is there, is there any, anyone coming into this church that, that is being divisive, that is trying to tear down the Word of God here? For only for the last 2,000 years, there have been people showing up in churches to try to destroy them. It seems a little weird. Like, I remember thinking, like, really? Like, the pagans, who wants to do that? Like, the people who don't know Christ, why would they want to do that? Like, they got other stuff to do, like golf and football and whatever on Sunday mornings. Don't they? Isn't that what they be? But that's not. There's people who Satan uses to kind of infiltrate the church, to, to try to destroy it, to try to, to try to pressure God's people to, to stay away from God's word. And so the job of elders is to protect the people. And so if someone come in and, and, and start teaching some kind of heresy here. It's their job to challenge them and say, listen, brother, sister, what you're teaching is not from the Word of God. I, I know you may have brought, been brought up that way. I know you, and, and if they're like, oh, like, please forgive me. You know, I, I see what you're saying now. It's right here in the Word. Praise God. That's, that's great. But if they're like, well, too bad. I'm continuing on. Then they need to remove that wolf 
from the flock. Why? So that the sheep are not hurt. That's the that's the responsible. So church discipline, 2022, should still be done because it's what God's word says for the protection of the sheep. So, so elders are responsible for doctrine, for discipline, for direction, discipleship. In whatever circumstances they find themselves, these are the things that they need to continually be evaluating. How are we doing in these four things? Personal, protective. Third, we see they need to be proactive. Proactive. This is not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. The elders uh, were chosen and appointed by others based on the character they exhibited as was prescribed by the apostles. And Peter is encouraging that they should not serve begrudgingly, right? Anytime as a leader you feel like, I I really don't want to do this anymore, right? You serve begrudgingly. Like if you're parents, you are leaders, by the way, you know, so there there might be some times you're like, yeah, I'd rather not be doing this. But Wheaton says this, the elders should not occupy the office as a reluctant draftee, doing an irksome task because he feels that he cannot escape it. Such a feeling might arise from a false sense of unworthiness, a reluctance for responsibility, or desire to do no more than was morally required in the office. See, what you need from shepherds, what you need from elders, is for them to understand what God is calling them to do. It's not just simply like, well, we had to make a decision whether we had the service at 9.30 or 10. You know, so that was the job, and you know, that's... Now, now we're done for the meeting, and now we go. No, it's like it's to care for your souls, is what the Bible says over and over again. To 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 be responsible for helping you become more and more like Jesus. That's the job. And so it's always exciting when you are walking under the Lord. So we need to remember that elder, as elders, that that is God who we are serving, and serve willingly with joy. If an elder's heart is not behind what he's doing, then he will not serve God in a way that is pleasing to him, is what Peter is saying here. Elders need to guard their attitudes, remembering the amazing, the amazing grace of God that he would trust his sheep to your care. I guess it's, a, it's an awesome thing that God would do that. But it, it's a thing where you continually would be humbled if you understand what God is asking you to do. But... As you see in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it's the Holy Spirit then who places you in that place. And if you understand that, and you're like, okay, he will strengthen me, he will counsel me, he will help me for this task. And I want to do this because I want to serve the king willingly. This should be the attitude of an elder. Be proactive and not complacent in this role that God has given you. And the, the fourth thing we see here is that they need to be philanthropic. Why philanthropic? I needed a P word, right? But what does it mean to be philanthropic? This is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, not for what I can get, but what I can give. This should be the heart and attitude of an elder. Not greedy for financial gain or or some kind of power, but to serve others. And I've seen this all over the world. I've, I've gotten a chance to travel to different places. There's a lot of people who become pastors for the power. Uh, for the for the prestige, so to speak, and they they rarely care for God's people. That's not okay, and it's not just something overseas. It happens here in Canada as well. People trying to use the the position of a of a shepherd, an elder, a pastor for 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 gain for themselves. And what's interesting is is it the, probably the biggest rebuke we see about this kind of attitude is actually found in the Old Testament. Where God's talking about the leadership there and, and them not caring for the people. Let me read Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, verses 8 to 10. We see that if you do not care for God's people, God takes that personally, right? And he will remove you. It says in Ezekiel 34, 8 to 10, As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. 
I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not food, be not be food for them. And so it's a word of warning against any shepherd who would seek to serve self rather than serve the Lord and serve God's people. A godly elder is continually thinking about how he can give, not have a desire to get. And then fifthly, we see here, a godly leader seeks to be pastoral. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Right? And of course, we've seen in the last decade or two examples of not what not to do in regards to this, ta- uh, this text, domineering over those in your charge. Uh, there's been, of course, some popular pastors in the last couple decades that have come out that, that, that we found out that they were, they were not gentle, that they were harsh and, and they treated people poorly. That's not what shepherds ought to do. And Hebert says here, the phrase to domineer over indicates intensity and depicts a heavy-handed use of authority for personal exaltation that manifests itself in the desire to dominate, accompanied, accompanied by a haughty demand for compliance. You know, so like this kind of, it's kind of, you know, strutting around, you know. Maybe, I remember we were um, in Paris and, and uh, at uh, the church there before it burnt to... Notre Dame, right? And I, we actually there was a service going on, and watching the, the priest come in, you know, it's like this kind of like this, and it's like, what is that? Like, where is that here? Right? Not domineering over those in your church, but being examples of like, it's like, hey guys, let's go, let's do this together. That's that's the, what we ought to see from eldership. It's what Christ Himself did. It says in Matthew twenty twenty five to twenty seven. Matthew 20, 25 to 27. But Jesus called them and said to him, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve and to give his life for many. Jesus, the Lord of everything, Jesus who is the greatest over all, he came as a servant. If that's how the Lord came, all his leadership, all God's people uh, that have been placed as leaders over the church ought to follow that same example and serve his people. Elders are not to lead by threatening or manipulating and using their power like a weapon, but rather they are to lead by example. They will not ask anyone to do something that they are not doing themselves. What they preach and teach to to the people must be lived out first by the elders. They are to be examples. The sheep should be able to look to their example. Agrudem says this, all in leadership positions positions in the church should realize that the requirement to live a a life worthy of imitation is not optional. It is part of the job, challenging though such responsibilities may be. The Greek verb here used here reminds us that it is a process. It's a process, right? Uh, um, a year from now, when we came back and I seen Roger and Dave, I hope they're more godly than they are right now, right? In five years from now, more godly than they are a year from now. It's a process. God is sanctifying all of us. And so they're not going to be perfect, right? Uh, Jesus is uh, ahead of over all the churches, right? So he wasn't available to be your elder, right? And, and so, but that's what they're striving for, to be examples. And of course, high requirements when you look at 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. So they're not going to be perfect, but they are called to be examples. What should their leadership look like? Athanasius said this, the life should command and the tongue persuade. A life should command and the tongue persuade. Again, as I think about the strange days that we're living in here in Canada, I'm praying that God would raise up godly leaders like that all over this country. Men who would have conviction, men who would speak God's truth in its fullness, and then be servant leaders. To love, to have compassion. What kind of a difference would that make in this world? 
I mean, how many people are, are so worried about being canceled? So like, oh, they might like, like us if we say something. Like, just go with what God's word says. Don't, don't go with what you think. Go with what God's word says. And then see if God might draw them to the light. See, we're not against the world. We're against Satan. Right? He's our enemy. The world may be against us, but we love them. And we want them to come to Christ. And so we need godly leaders over the church who will set the example for you who then would also walk as salt and light in this dark world. This is what you need in this church. Our leaders would mimic Christ. Thirdly, godly, or a church that focuses on Christ sees godly leaders receive the prize of Christ. It says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Every time the elders get together to have a meeting, they, they look first to what? To the chief shepherd. They look to the chief shepherd and say, like, Lord, you're in charge. We want to take care of your people. We're your hands and feet here on this earth. But you're the chief shepherd. And we're going to continue to do this until when? Until you return. And when you return, we're going to receive the unfading crown of glory. That's waiting all of us, by the way. Are you looking forward to that? Like the glory that is to come, again, that we were reminded of as we looked at the first point. Peter encourages the elders to be faithful, even in trying times. The task that God is calling these elders to is not an easy task. The role that God, this God is calling them to comes with heartaches, tears, struggles, a lot of hard work. If you're a leader, you're a prime target. A lot of people like to talk about you. And, and, and so it can be really easy to be discouraged, and they will need to persevere. And so would you commit to pray for your elders, to, to pray that they would continue to persevere until Christ would return? The crown here is, is something that was given on many different occasions. When you think about the context here, People would receive crowns for winning victories in athletics or a, or a reward to honor a citizen for public service. It is most likely the crown of victory that Peter's readers would have in mind in keeping with this context. The crown that, the crown that they would receive in, in those days, of course, was temporary, but this crown is eternal. Godly leaders are assured that everlasting glory awaits those who persevere and serve well. So that's the job of elders. So quickly, what's the job of the church? We see that godly laity follow the pattern of Christ. Godly laity, laity follow the pattern of Christ. We see in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The first thing we see here is that you need to be supportive. A bit phrase this in a, a proactive way. Okay? It, it says likewise. So first of all, it's showing us that, that, that what Peter is saying here is he's making a transition, but what he's just said to the elders is likewise to those now, to those who are younger. So I guess basically what he's saying here is if you're older than Dave or Roger, you don't have to listen. I think is that, I think that's what it, okay, no, that's not so I want to say, who are the younger? Well, we ought to see the younger as including everyone who was not an elder. That's as you, as you understand the context here. Uh, some have thought this was specifically addressing the younger because guess what? Younger folks like to rebel more. Okay, So there, there was a thought there that it was just uh, being addressed to them. But ultimately what we understand what he's saying here is this is for all people in the church. So what are you to do? You're to be subject to the elders. Subject to the elders. Another way of saying this is to be submissive to the elders. What? Is that? I don't Why? Well, I, I can't be. Like, su, su, submit? Like, to be subject to? Is that? It says it right there. Like, how many people think that's popular in 2022? But remember what they're being called to do. Do we just see what they're being called to do in the verses beforehand? 
as they lead like that, God's saying, be subject to them. Humble yourselves before them. Listen to their leadership. Wall says here, to be submissive is a command, an imperative. The verb means to defer to the authority of. It indicates a spirit of cooperation as opposed to dissatisfaction with the leadership. It describes a willingness to support the pastor's directions. And I know that's not our culture whatsoever. I mean, let's be fair. I mean, there's a lot of easy targets in leadership these days, right? But when we follow what God's word says, then the Bible says, as laity, you are to submit. You are to, to follow under their leadership. In the same way that wives are submit to their husbands, the laity of the church is to, is, is to be subject to, uh, to the elders of the church. Now, again, Dave gets up here and says, you know what? We don't need this book anymore. I, I have a new teaching. Should you say, well, the Bible tells us to submit. I guess we just, should you do that? You 100% should not do that, okay? You submit to their leadership as they follow the word of God. And when they don't, then you gently come together and you say, listen, it's not, I don't know, maybe you probably misspoke, <laughs> right? But if you did it, then this is a problem and that elder should be removed. But this is what God calls us to do as we walk in unity together. Godly leaders being supported by godly people who would follow their leadership. Second thing we see here, the church needs to be servant-hearted. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And, and Paul, the way he put it is to, to think of others as more highly than yourself. In Philippians 2, 4, that the wall says here to clothe yourself refers to a slave or servant putting on an apron or towel to serve someone else. Just like Jesus did. Just as Jesus got down on his knees and washed their stinky feet of the disciples. This is the kind of other-centeredness that we should have for one another in the church. How are you doing with that? When you think about your week, how do you prioritize your time? How do you care for the needs of others in the body of Christ? Do you take time to pray for one another? Do you take time to, to send notes of encouragement, either by text or email? Do you take time to, to pick up the phone and, and just say, hey, I, can we get together? I would love to just to, to pray together, to get together, to talk about God's Word, to, to just find out what's going on in your life so I can pray for you better. Are you intentional when you come here on a Sunday morning to have eyes to see who are the anxious and lonely? Who are the hurting? How, God, would you use me to, to minister to them this morning? How do you prioritize your money? Do you, do you, do you kind of just keep hoarding it to yourself? Or are you, are you trying to save so that you might give? Are you reaching out to your small group members in the summertime? Right? I, I don't know about your church here, but in our church it's like, you know, it's, it's camping time. May long weekend. See you in September, you know. And everybody kind of wanders back into the church, like spiritually gone, you know, from their summer. But but it's kind of, but we don't have to be that way. We can continue to interact with one another even when we don't have a program going. And so let us be thinking about that. How can we encourage one another? When the elders direct you as a church and as individuals, is your first act reaction to argue and resist or is it to submit? Elders, as, as you will leave this church and as you cancel it, you need to, it needs to be done with a heart of humility and love as you point people to Christ. This is God's design for his people. By his grace, may you be a church that walks in obedience to this instruction. And then lastly, we need to be a church that's spirit-led. Spirit-led. Why is that so important? Because it says here, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You don't want God as an enemy. You don't want God in opposition to you. You want to continually be in a place where you're saying, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Lord, Lord, help me to, to, to walk in your ways. And Peter had experienced what pride does. Right? Lord, I would never leave you. I would never forsake you. Yeah, you're going to do it tonight. 
tonight. It wasn't like two years from now. It was that night. Peter's like, I'd never do that. And his pride was the downfall of him. Instead of falling on his knees and, and praying in the garden as Jesus had instructed him, he fell. May this church be marked for its humility. You are what you are because God has made you what you are. There's never a reason for us to ever be braggadocious. Well, we're not that like that church down the road. You know, we, we got it together here. I mean, that, there should never be that kind of attitude. Just like, praise God, we're, we're, we're walking in faithfulness, but, but it's only because of his grace and mercy towards us. God, would you use us to influence your church so that there might be more people following you like this. That's our prayer, God. So, may you be spirit-led. What, what, a, what a plan. Is this easy? You're like, oh, okay. That's all we, that's it? That's all we gotta do in this church? <laughs> Got it, nailed it. I mean, there's a lot of what? Dying to self. Say, Lord, your will, not ours be done. Is what's needed over and over and over again. And as you do that, this will be such a sweet place to be from week to week to week. And when people come in here who are new, they're gonna be like, something different. There's something different here than what I see out in the world. These people genuinely care for one another. And, and they don't just accept them for exactly who they are. They actually, I've heard them actually challenge one another. They, they, they care for, enough for one another. They're like, yeah, no, nah, you're wrong. And I love you. I love you enough to tell you you're wrong. And, and now let's walk together in, in, in God's ways. And, and I'm just praying that God will continue to, to, to equip you to be salt and light here in Red Deer. It's so, as I said, so cool for me to come get to come. I was here last summer, come back again and see God what God's doing. There's new faces. But may you walk in the ways of God. May you follow the instruction that He has for you here. It's for His glory. It's His church. Not yours. Not redemption. Red Deer. What's the name we call it? But it's Christ Church. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for this time together in your word this morning. God, we would pray, Lord, that you would be honored in this place. God, we are sinners in need of a Savior. God, each and every day, Lord, we are thankful that, Lord, you have saved us, Lord, that you are saving us. And one day soon, you will complete that work and we will be in glory with you. But between now and then, God, would you help us to be faithful? God, I'm so thankful for Chris and Roger and Dave. Lord, I pray for them. God, as they lead this church, that they would have their eyes firmly fixed upon you. That, Lord, you would, uh, by the power of your spirit, lead them and guide them. Give them wisdom beyond themselves each, each day, Lord, as they shepherd this flock. And God, I pray that there just be a, a real sweetness amongst the body of Christ here. Lord, they would be spirit-led, that they would be uh, submissive, that, Lord, they would be, be quick to, uh, Lord, be servant-hearted towards one another. Lord, we believe that before you return, there's still going to be a great harvest. Lord, help us not to shrink back as your people, but help us to, to stand firm in your truth for your glory and for your kingdom. We want to remember God's faithfulness to us. We want to remember His certain heartedness as he, as he came to lay down His life for you and I. We're going to partake together in the Lord's Supper now. And um, just a couple of things, a reminder that this is only for those who have repented of their sin and placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is something that we do together in the body of Christ. That we don't do it something on our own. We do it together because uh, it reminds us as we come together that we are a part of a body. The body that has been purchased by His blood. If you've never placed your hope and trust in Christ, I want to encourage you to do so today. Don't, don't wait for, for longer or later. Uh, that, that today is the day of repentance. If God has brought you here and you're like, I, don't, I thought I was going to play soccer today and in front of there's a church service going, I don't know. If that's your story, I, I just believe that God has a plan for you, that he, 
that he uh, he has purchased uh, he has died for you and and if you would repent today he would make you his child and you too would become a part of the body of Christ before we partake together this morning one more thing I want you just to encourage you to Lord where have I not been following you well Lord there's some things in my life that I have not been repentant of God would I would do so even now that I might as I come partake together of the cup that I would do so remembering the sacrifice that you made on my behalf. Lord, that, that, that you paid my debt in full so that I might be free from my sin, not to walk in my sin. So just examine your own hearts. Uh, Josh is just going to play for a little bit, uh, for a few moments here. And after you've examined your heart, you come, you grab a cup, you turn to your seat, and in just a moment we'll partake together.